Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest's very own Italian job because we're joining you live from Naples this week. And joining me, Jeremy Cross, Matt Dunn, Simon Mullock, and Andy Dunn, Simon, it's lovely to have you, uh, a voice of reason along um, with us this, this week. So uh, very nice to have you come as well. Well, obviously. obviously. Um, guys, it's, uh, yeah, we'll obviously talk about England um, and the Italy game a bit later. Um, I wonder what that means. It was quite interesting to see Gareth Southgate's comments, wasn't it, about um, uh, about his potential future and England players not, not, trying not to uh, miss this opportunity or take a chance for, to win for granted. But also, obviously, the crisis at Tottenham, Man United's takeover, is, is what actually going to happen, do we think? Um, and, and and you know, lots to go at this week, despite it being an international week, no, no, normally notoriously quiet, but not this week. So, look, let's start at Spurs, shall we? And, and Matt, you know, you see a lot of Tottenham. So let's start. You know, with you, were you surprised to see how this week has panned? You know, everything really posed Conte and Conte's outburst at Southampton. The big problem leaving Scott is attracting someone to Spurs at a time when so many big clubs could be look, looking for a manager in the summer. So, if we could Pochettino coming back and all these other names, Tuchel, you know, it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, uh, Andy, what did you what did you make of the whole thing? They, they, they've obviously just got to move on, but what interest? me is now do they make an appointment for for just now to see him through to the end of the season or do they try and make an appointment until the uh the, uh, for the rest of the um or for the long term no i think they made an appointment until the end of the season i really don't think there's any point in in i mean listen unless unless you have a a, a real sort of blue chip target that you think you can get right now i.e a Tuchel or a pochettino and you think you can get them right now then 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 by all means go down that route but i, I honestly think that both from the managerial point of view, from the guy who's taken over the long-term successor, and Spurs' point of view, I think the, the obvious thing is, is is to have an appointment until now, until until the end of the season, um, and who that way be. Listen, I mean, it, it looks for all the world like Ryan Mason will probably take charge until the end of the season, and I don't think that's such a bad thing. I, I, I really don't. But what's happened? Spurs have. It's almost been a wasted season. You, you know, it's almost been a wasted season. The, the whole Conte issue, and, and I never thought from pretty much from day one that he was permitted to, you know, I don't like using the word project, but 
what well, well it is at some clubs. I think it was a project in Newcastle that he had committed to. I think it was a project in Liverpool back in 2000 and when did he join? 16 or 17 when Klopp um, committed to it. I think the same with Pep Guardiola. I don't think, I never had the impression that um, Antonio Conte was, was, was 100% committed to what needed doing at Spurs. I really I, I didn't say And even if that was just from a, you know, even on a very, what, what, what can I say, of a very... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Just an outward point of view from not committing to to moving family over, to to living, you know, close to the training ground, et cetera, all, all those type of things. So I think from day one, I, I was never convinced it was going to work. And, and it isn't. And I think the best thing to do now, listen, you know, you know, whatever 10, 11, 12 games left in the season, get those out of the way. Um, you know, do your best by finishing that fourth spot and then have a reset in the summer, you know, when the manager will know who he can buy, who the targets are, who's going to, how the squad's going to look, is Harry Kane staying? You know, these are things, that is one of the factors, you know, that, that, that is into the mix. Does the new manager have Harry Kane as disposable after the summer transfer window? So I think basically, you know, yeah, foot on the ball. Listen, Conte, uh, as as either purposely or or um, unconsciously burns his bridges, um, that can't carry on. Now, just foot on the ball and and go for your main number one target in the summit. Simon, what do you make of how the club is run generally? I mean, you, you know, does Conte have points in, in, in what he made in, in that rant about the, the mentality? Tottenham are a very, very well-run club. Um, you know, Daniel Levy's done a great job in getting, you know, getting the new stadium built. Um, in some ways, they he's managed to build a team that is you know usually in the the sort of top six top eight of the Premier League, um, but yeah, they, there's something stopping them taking the, taking that final step, and it didn't matter whether it's Pochettino who's manager or if it's Conte who's a the manager. There's just something stopping them making that final step, and clearly Conte believes that that the, the the barriers are being put up at boardroom level, which is why he uh, he kicked off spectacularly at the weekend. But you know, Conte's got to take some, you know, his share of the blame. I mean, the inconsistency that Tottenham have shown this year is incredible, and it, it's amazing, really, that they're still in it with a shout of uh, finishing in top, top four. You know, knocked out both domestic cups by Nottingham Forest and and Sheffield United. You know, they go and beat Man City, and then lose, get battered by Leicester, and lose to Milan. You know, they go and turn over Chelsea, and then lose to, you know, lose to Wolves. It's, um, you know. That inconsistency is on the, the, the shoulders of the, the manager and the players. And clearly Conte feels that most of the blame should lie with other people. And he's, he's kind of, basically, it was, it was a, a resignation letter that in everything but name, that outburst at the weekend. Yeah, it did feel like. Jeremy, what do you, what do you think of Pochettino possibly coming back? There's been lots of talk about that. That would be the emotional. I know Andy would be absolutely thrilled. Um, um, but uh, that that would be the emotional popular choice, wouldn't it? Let's be honest. But is he the right choice? You know, who are the other riders and runners? We all know he was successful there before. You know, got to the Champions League final. Um, and he's popular. He would be a popular panel with the supporters. Um, but would he want to go back there? I mean, I think he's holding out for something bigger and better than Tottenham by the looks of it. You know, he led to believe he wants the Real Madrid job whenever that will. Um, so there are various obstacles in the way there if Levy wants to go for Pochettino. I was just interested to see what Andy said about Ryan Mason. What if, it's obviously a really difficult situation for Levy because 
you know, they want to finish top four. But what if they stick with Ryan Mason until the end of the season and he does, they don't finish in the top four? Is that going to affect who they bring in as their permanent manager for next season? Because, you know, would Thomas Tuchel, for example, um, want to manage a club that's not in Champions League? Probably not. So, and Tuchel is available, you know, he's at work. So I would think, if I was leaving, I would be trying to get, if it, Tuchel or Pochettino were my targets, I'd be trying to bring him in now. Wouldn't wait till the end of the season. Ryan Mason's so inexperienced. If if if, if Conte can't get the best out of his players, is, is Ryan Mason going to get the best out of the players? Probably not. So the thing is with Poch, I mean, great manager clearly did a brilliant job at Tottenham last time. But look how ugly it was when it all ended. What well, what's changed? What what would you know? What would make both Pochettino and, and Daniel Levy think that they can um, build the bridges that were destroyed? When he left the club first time round, you know, it doesn't feel to me that anything's changed. And the same gripes that Pochettino had are the ones that, that, that Conte is making, you know, if, if more, you know, more loudly. Uh, you know, I remember being on, on tour with Tottenham, with, um, I think it was back in 2019, where Pochettino was asked um, about, about transfers and, and um, new contracts and said, don't ask me, I'm just a manager. I don't have any... You know, I don't have any say in that kind of, you know, in, in that way the, the club is run. What's changed? You know, what, what, will he will he look for assurances off Daniel Levy that um, that things will be different this time around and that he will have more of the powers that he was looking for back then? I'm not sure that Daniel Levy will give him that. Also, the back the backdrop to this scenario is that Tottenham are obviously, as we is well documented, are a club that underachieves every year. So they don't win enough trophies. They barely win any trophies. And whoever gets the job will be under the same pressure as the, next, as the previous guy. He'll have, to, he'll have to try and win something. And when you look around at City, how strong they are, um, Newcastle are obviously a force to reckon with now with all their money. Uh, United are, are getting back to, to where they want to be. Um, you'd expect Chelsea to be stronger next season. It's, it's so tough at that in that elite group at the top. But... You just feel whoever gets that gig is going to hide into nothing. Because the fact is, the bottom line is that Levy doesn't spend as much money on players or the top quality players as the other clubs do. No, no, you're right. I, I must say, there's a nice little sort of discussion going on getting amongst the viewers here. Samir makes a really good point here. With Conte compared to other managers, he did get financial backing. In fact, the summer transfer window, and, and, and he's absolutely right, because I was one of the most experts, well, I don't know about that, but um, right. It's very hard, it? I mean, that's, you know, I've got to say, I, I actually think there's got to be some, you know, um, fault on all sides here because Levy, in fairness, has backed Conte to the hilt. He's given an absolute monster contract and you'd have to say, first season, job done, got him in the top four, so his money well spent. In the summer, they spent a lot of money, you know, including a couple of players who, who clearly Conte doesn't fancy, doesn't wait, and... You've got to say, what's the point in that? And I'm thinking Basuma or Spence, you know, not the biggest of signings, in which Charleston hasn't worked, for example, is it really? You know, but you can't say anything other than they backed him to the hill. You know, it was, it's, you know, so I, I, Matt, I wonder what you think. Did, you know, Conte has to take a bit more of a share of the blame than, than he's taken so far as me. I think it is unfair, I think, that to level this one. That's purely Spurs. Yeah, I mean, Conte keeps telling us what a great manager he is, but he's showing little evidence of, you know, everyone thought, oh, it's Conte, we're bound to win stuff. And this is him saying about himself, 
Simon, Simon touched on it earlier. When when um, Tottenham played Sheffield United in the um, FA Cup last 16 was at Bramall Lane, um, I did that game and the press press box was absolutely aghast before, well, not aghast, that's a bit strong, but shocked before the game when he, he made about eight changes to the team and left Kane on the bench. Now, whether it was him being disrespectful to Sheffield United or what, I don't know, but the point was that we ended up losing that game. That's another chance of winning a trophy gone for a club that has won one trophy in more than three decades. And I just thought, I put um, Conte there with back in Italy recovering from his operation, but obviously he was pulling the strings still. It just smacked of, it just summed up where they're at, Tottenham, with Conte or previous managers in terms of lack of ambition and aggressiveness in terms of winning games they should win. And they got the, the fingers burned that day. And it, I thought, you know, I left that, Match thinking he's got it deserved there, Conte. So you're right. I think a lot of the blanks. Every every team's a reflection of its manager, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, Simon, who do you think they'll go for next? Who they, should they, who should they go for next? Um, I've got to admit, I'm a, I, I like Tuchel. I think he's um, he's a coach who, you know, showed at Chelsea. Um, certainly in in the, in that first year or so, what a great coach can be. You know that that Champions League win. You know, really was out of the blue. Um, fantastic uh, tactician. Um, I think he's a coach. I also think he's a coach that players will respect. I'm not saying Antonio Conte isn't, but um, I just think that Tuchel um, is the kind of forward-thinking manager that, that that Spurs need. And I think that they need that kind of name to keep keep Harry Kane happy. You know, Harry Kane's going to be deciding his future in the summer. And you know, if he doesn't leave Tottenham this summer, he'll never he'll never leave the club. Um, you know, Harry Kane is going to need answers as to what direction Tottenham are, are going to go in. You know, not not four years hence, but in the next two or three years. And I, and I think to for that to happen, they need a real top name, top quality coach. And I think Thomas Tuchel uh, ticks all the boxes. I mean, I have to say, I was I was disappointed, you know, for for, for Patrick Vieira when he when he obviously fell on his sword. Is that the right decision to go back to to Roy Hodgson? Well, listen, if he keeps them up, um, then yes, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know what the old saying is. Where first of all, um, it was the wrong decision, I think, to sack Patrick Vieira. I think it's incredibly harsh to sack someone on the back of a a run of fixtures that were, in the main, really, really tough. You know, and it wasn't like they were getting hammered every week. You know, they were losing, but they lost by a single goal to to Manchester City, didn't they? Um, you know, got some creditable draws in that run of winless games. As I say, you know, their issue was scoring goals. Um, they've been without Zaha for um, a, a portion of the season. Um, so I think it was harsh to sack him on the eve of. First of all, I thought, why, why not let him go back to Arsenal? Maybe that'll inspire him and the team. And then you've got a run of fixtures that are predominantly the rest of the fixtures. I think there's only, if you take the current league table, there's only two of those fixtures that are against teams that are in the top half of the table. I think one of those is a ninth place team. So, you know, they were, so, so, so I think first things first, I think it was really hard to, to sack Patrick Vieira. Is Hodgson the answer? Well, you know, I just don't think he, he's, well, no, I mean, I don't, I, what, 
This, as I say, him and his coaching staff may well keep Palace up. You know, listen, I've got this theory, by the way, that, and this will prove it, if Hodgson is a success there, or relatively successful, honestly, I mean, I, I think we're getting to the stage now where the cult of the manager has just, is just out of control, really, you know, and their importance on the whole, on the whole team's performance is slightly out of control, really. Listen, if Palace stay up, it because Palace stay up because the players have pulled the fingers out and have actually sort of, you know, found a way to, to win a game and have it up their performances individually. I don't think Hodgson's going to go onto that coaching ground and come up with some magic formula um, that's going to transform their fortunes or is going to inspire um, a group of players with his with his rhetoric, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, Roy's, you know, a really nice fellow. I've never been, you know, I've always thought that, you know, he's never, he's never won anything for a start-off. So, you know, that on, on that level, I always think, you know, he's, let, let's just say he's been appreciated to the maximum, you know, for what he's done. Um, but the, the, no, the simple answer, John, is that you know I don't I don't think at this stage of the season in the same way that I don't think that if you got if you put Ryan Mason at Spurs, it's going to make much difference either way. I think this season's almost you know, the, you've had you've, you've had twenty seven, twenty eight games, you've had cup games. Your season is seventy five percent done. Your momentum, your season pattern has been set. And I don't think anyone can go in for 11, 12 games and change it. We'll look through the past and we'll say, well, they have. You know, maybe Big Sam's gone in and done something or maybe Tony. And, you know, you can do that. But in essence, I think the difference that the manager will make for the last 11 or 12 games is minimal. And so in that sense, I get the debate about Roy's age. But in the end, I think it's pretty relevant who went in. I think it was the wrong decision to sack Vieira. And now we'll see what happens with Roy. Yeah, I'm always loath to criticise. Steve Parrish, because I think he's almost the example, and Crystal Palace are, of how to run a, a, a Premier League club. When you bear in mind what he took them over, what, just over a decade ago, and sort of the team in, in administra- had been in, in administration, you know, and basically points deduction was struggling in the championship. And here they are now, you know, mainstays of the Premier League. So I'm, you know, I always think Parrish, I think, deserves a lot of credit and sort of has got a lot of credit in the bank. I think it's just that going back, isn't it? Um, you know, and it, it's it's a gamble. But I, I, I just wonder, you know, Jeremy, who do you think will go? Who do you think now will go down? Who do you think is is in danger? Because it is from, you know, it that gap is very very stark, isn't it? From, you know, Palace upwards, you know, sort of thing almost. If you look at the bottom half of the table, it's absolutely astonishing, isn't it? How tight it is. And there's about ten teams separated by two points. So. It's the million dollar question. I mean, look, Southampton look doomed, don't they? They have the odd little flutter and then they're going a bad run again. So I think they'll go down. I think Bournemouth will go down. They don't have enough quality. Uh, Leeds had a massive, massive win against Wolves um, last weekend. The Wolves seem to be in free fall, so they're going to be in trouble. Um, it's just so hard to predict, isn't it? I mean, that, I was looking at the table after that Leeds win at Wolves and on first glance, you thought, oh, that's, that looks better because they went up to like 14th in the table. But then you look at the points difference and they're just one defeat up well, the two points above the relegation zone. So, listen, it's going to probably go down to the last weekend of the season, I would imagine. It's going to be pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see how pans it. Simon, I wonder whether you can borrow your Man United expertise. Bizarre goings on with the, um, with the takeover process right now, isn't it? Does that kind of you know, have they bid, haven't they bid? You know, it's, it's uh, does that kind of almost sum up the, the rather sort of farcical nature of this very public 
Yeah, I think it does. I mean, you know, it, look, the deadline was 9pm last night and the, the bids weren't on the table. Um, the Glazers can't make their minds up whether they want a full sale or a partial sale. Um, you know, you, you would have thought that it was their, their perfect scenario <clears throat> that they've got two extremely wealthy individuals going head to head to try and buy the club. But it seems that they have kind of realised after looking at the nuts and bolts of United's um, finances that, that the amount of work that he's going to take to, to, to rebuild the club, not just the team, but the, the facilities at Old Trafford and the training ground. You know, six billion pounds is a lot of money to, you know, in anybody's uh, vocabulary. But on top of that, they're going to have to come up with money to uh, rebuild Old Trafford or or redevelop re redevelop it completely. Which you know, another two billion pounds on top of that, they've got to improve the training ground facilities. Um, you know, let's be fair; they're going to take on half a billion pounds worth of debt that the Glazers are going to leave behind. So you know, six six billion doesn't really touch the the actual amount of money it's going to cost to get United back up to where um they think they belong um and yeah it's, it just seems like it just seems like a, a a big mess at the moment um I mean I think there's there are loads of questions that that need to be asked you know Jim Jim Ratcliffe for example um you know he owns nice you know we heard uh Seferin the other week saying that UEFA were looking into whether they would alter their own regulations to allow uh, ownerships of two clubs who might play in the same competition. You know that 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 rule's been in place for 21 years. Why suddenly? Because Man United are up for sale. Uh, UEFA looking to change it. Uh, you know we've heard all about the um, state ownership over the last few years with uh, with Man City and Newcastle called into question. Well, you know there's no doubt that Shane Jassim has has got connections to. Um, to the Qatari state, so I, even with these two bidders, I think there are there are so many questions that still need to be answered. Um, you know what the United fans think about it. They, they you know, they, I know they're desperate to get rid of the Glazers, but you know, do they do they want an ownership model from Dubai, or do they want you know Jim Ratcliffe, who professes to be a born and bred Man United fan from Oldham, who then went to became a season ticket holder at Chelsea? I just think you know that it's a, it's. Um, it, it is a mess. I, I, it wouldn't surprise. It really wouldn't surprise me if the Glazers, in the end, um, just invited investment to come in. Uh, you know what better way? It's the perfect scenario for them to to keep hold of the club and get other people, other businessmen, to pay for the improvements that that have to be made. You know, particularly to to the stadium. So yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a farce at the moment, and, and it needs. Uh, it, it needs more clarity. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That's that's a great shout about the um, uh, on, on on several levels there. Really, in terms of you know, particularly it makes you think, doesn't it, about the sort of state investment, you know, or as dual ownership. Why is that? Why are the goalposts suddenly being changed? Is it is it one rule for for, for one and, and another for you know other teams? You know, it seemed to me. I don't know. It seemed to me. I, I listened to that interview that Severin did with Gary Neville, which was fascinating. But also, it just opened up all sorts of different, you know, parallels and and, and different opportunities for clubs and the, the great great points really. Let's move on to England because that's why we're all in Naples um, together and. Um, 
I don't think you could wish for a harder start, could you, Jeremy? And in you know, in terms of England's opening fixtures, particularly you know away to Italy, surely um, statistically it's got to be the hardest game in the group away from home against the be- almost you know arguably against the best team, England's nemesis. Not not one in Italy since 1961. England couldn't have got their right tonight. Yeah, yeah. Listen, we, we were Declan Rice and uh, Gareth Southgate were both sort of bullish right in the press conference saying these are the sort of hurdles we need to keep knocking down to prove that we are one of the top teams in the world. You know, going and winning in a place like Naples is tough because you know it's a real hotbed. It's it's going to be lively tonight. It's going to be a feisty atmosphere. It's going to test the players' characters. Uh, and Italy obviously missed out on the World Cup qualification while we were all in Qatar watching the finest teams in the world battle it out. It's still playing the likes of Austrian friendlies and losing, by the way. So, um, you know, you'd expect Italy to be really smarting tonight from what they've not achieved in recent months. And now they're running European champions, of course, as we painfully know. So, I know they've got a lot of injuries, haven't they? They've got problems up front tonight. They've got a few of their leading players are out injured, so they won't be as strong as they, um, they'd hoped to be, but you'd expect them to be really good, tough opponents tonight. And obviously, that you've got that crowd to home crowd to deal with as well, so it'd be an interesting test of where England are at. Is the worry if England start badly in this campaign, what that will mean to Gareth Southgate and you know, the rest of his tenure. Is that is, is is that the concern? You've certainly got to kind of rediscover some momentum quickly, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I do. I, I think that, you know, it, it's... I think there's a disconnect. I think it's really interesting, really intriguing with um, the Gareth Southgate um, tenure, really. It, it, it's... I think there's no doubt about it. I think that um, there's a sort of split, I think, in the country. I think there's no doubt, and, and this is, like, against... Against us, but I think Gareth Southgate's um, position, his achievements, his the way he's conducted himself, the way he's led this team, the football this team play, I think it has gone down far more uh, positively with us, the media, than it has with the general public. I genuinely do think there's a disconnect there. I, I genuinely think you know, you know, I, I will hint. Listen, we we we're in a way, I'm not saying we're in the bubble, but we but we deal with it every day. We see what he's doing. We see what he does around the camp. We see the effect. We speak to players, you know, not just what they're going to say in public, oh, Gareth's great, Gareth's this, Gareth's that. We we know that they genuinely believe that he is, he's a fantastic leader of this squad. So we we get all that and we see it. And we also see a team that, you know, that doesn't lose many games. It's a team that has got to a, a semi-final, then a final, then a quarter-final and played, and played okay. In, in that cause of fan against France. And we see all that. But then when I go, you know, uh, you know, the the, 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 the the age-old litmus test and when I go and talk to my mates in the pub, they, they don't quite share my enthusiasm. They don't share our, our you know, the, isn't Gareth doing a great job? They enjoy it if, if, for example, the World Cup in 2018, they got swept up in, 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 in a bit of that favour back home um, in the summer of 2018. But since then, you know, there is still the perception that really bugs him, let's face it, really bugs him, that he that they don't play particularly adventurous football, that he is not an adventurous coach, that he's a conservative coach, that he's a defensive coach. So in that sense, John, I agree. I think that, you know, I think one, you know, it's about the results and I clearly, you know, you're not going to come to to, to Naples and, and play some sort of like, you know, dominate, dominating flamboyant football against Italy. 
But, you know, it doesn't matter the results, you know, but a good performance, a good attractive performance, a winning performance against Ukraine on Sunday. And I think that would set him up. What will happen is if those results don't go in England's favour, I don't think there'll be a particular groundswell of opinion saying, well, like, you know, there was the wrong decision for him to stay on. I just think there'll be indifference. And I think that's one of the worst things that can happen for the national team. I genuinely think people will just be, well, okay, we've got him for another two years. You know, let's just, you know, see how they do. They'll probably qualify anyway because the qualifying system. And let's go on with it. So, yes, it is important that they, they, that they put out, get both a results and a performance, certainly on Sunday, that um, that is attractive. Because I do, I still think that, you know, we have very different opinions across the board on Southgate at the moment. Yeah, we do. We do. I mean, Solon, it's, it's easy to forget. We do have a really exciting crop of players, don't we? I mean, you know, when Gareth Southgate, you know, says, don't take this, you know, don't take winning for granted, basically, this might be your last chance. I'd, I see where he's coming from, don't you? That if you look at the players that we've got, you know, th- this is, and I hate this phrase, but this is a golden generation. These players, you know, they're now established, young players, but they're established international footballers who've played in the, the biggest games in, in, in football. Uh, you know, I, I think we should be putting probably more ex- expectation on this England scene now because I think it's pretty close to to reaching its peak. And, and I'd love to, to see us play with the brakes off you know I'd, I'd love Gareth to you know, you know alter his mindset at, at some point and say look you know let's try and make the most of the the, the quality and the, the exciting young players that we've got um, you know, we've got one of the best strikers um, in, in world football in Harry Kane you know Saka Foden uh, Grealish uh, I know Mason Mount isn't here this time but I mean let's not forget Bellingham for example that we've just got a, a clutch of of players who um you know we should we should be putting expectations on their shoulders now you know th- this is an established really uh, accomplished England team and um I, I, you know it would be great if we could put put a performance up against Italy tonight and get off to a winning start I think the the performance more it, and I know, I know all this goes against the grain when you're playing in the qualifier but I think the performance is so in, is so important tonight that we get off, get off to a positive start hopefully get a positive result and then build on that in front of the, you know, in front of our own fans at, at Wembley on Sunday. But yeah, let me come on. Let, let's see England play with the brakes off. This is a, this is a team packed with fabulous attacking players. Let, let's see them, uh, let's see them express themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, it'll be, um, it'll be very interesting. Jerry, I mean, you know, Italy are in a bit of a strange situation themselves, aren't they? You know, I mean, it's a remarkable tribute to, Mancini is a manager that he managed to win um, as, as you you know those Euros, didn't he? With you know, let's be honest here, striker has been the, the biggest issue. They've had to go to Argentina and an Italian grandmother, basically, via an Italian grandmother to you know get their next striker in. But they do have talent, don't they? They basically just don't have a, a, a great deal of goals, really. But I, I think that Na- Napoli, you know, Napoli Stadium will be will be rocking. I think the atmosphere is good. I can't quite understand why it's in Naples, but it is all set up for a good game, isn't it? Oh yeah, listen, two great teams. I know it's they've struggled of late, but like I've referred to before, they won the European Championships against us. And look, you know, I think on that second half performance at Wembley that afternoon, they probably deserved to win, deserved to take home the trophy. Uh, it took a penalty shootout to do it, but um, I think England will win tonight. I think Italy have got some key players missing. Um, they're going to be a young team, inexperienced. 
yeah, they'll have the home crowd behind them and it'll be, you know, it'll be a hostile environment. But England have got played such so many big games in the last three or four years, even longer that they I don't think that's gonna bother them. You know, people like Bellingham like Simon Simon referred to, you know, he plays in the Champions League on a regular basis with Dortmund. He just doesn't seem phased by what's ahead of him. So, you know, um and uh, you know, we we always go on, don't we, about we've moaned in the past about how poor the set standard is in qualifying campaigns. You know, England just breeze through qualifying campaigns and get to tournaments, then get sort of exposed a bit. But I think time's different now. This is obviously a quite a, t- a tough group for England, but I expect them to win it. I expect them to go on and really challenge for the title in Germany next summer. I really do. And what do you... Um, is, is there anyone that's going to come through, do you think, in the in this campaign? You know, the emergence of Drew Bellingham was striking in, in the World Cup, wasn't it? You know, uh, are, there, are there ones that you know, could go and dominate in this, you know, be real mainstays in this England team and set up um, thanks to this campaign? Of, of that age, um, I'm not sure there is. I'm not sure that we're looking at, you know, I think we've got a promising bunch of, of young players um, coming through um, in the under-21s, but I don't think there's any of them um, who will probably have a, a serious impact in, in, in this European qualifying campaign. You know, I really can't. I mean, listen, I like I like Jacob Ramsey, like in the under-21s. I think, you know, he, he's stepping up a bit for Villa now, but I really can't see many coming through the under-21s into this. What I can see and what I would like to see, and Matt just referenced him there as an impact player, I'd like to see Grealish as a as a permanent starter in this team, as a, one of the mainstays of this team. Give him, you know, the uh, give him the responsibility that Pep Guardiola is uh, is now giving him in Manchester City. The guy is in should be he should be. I'm not saying he is because I'd like to see. Obviously, I think we'd all like to see include himself more so called end product. We'd like to see more goals from him, more assists from him. But he but he he should be in the prime of his career. He looks happy. He's playing happy. You know, he's taking on players. I would like to see... He is a, he is a game changer. And international football can be so... You know, it can be so cautious. It can be so careful. It can be... You know, I'm not saying we necessarily saw that in a World Cup. It's quite an attractive World Cup. But some games can be, you know, decided by, by individual brilliance. And I just think he's as good as creative a player. He makes something happen. And again, it applies to all England players, but you know, it comes out with Greedish so starkly how how he is so lifted by, you know, we've always had this discussion about how an England shirt weighs heavy on players. It doesn't on Jack Greedish. It absolutely lifts him, you know, and inspires him. And I would like to see him become I don't want him to be an impact player. I don't want to see the two minutes that he had against France in the World Cup quarterfinal. You know, I don't I I, I just think that I think he, you trust him. You accept that, that he might have games where he can be frustrating, but I just think he's too good a player to um, to not have as one of the mainstays of this team. We've had mainstays of this team for a long time, haven't we? We've had Jordan Pickford, we've had Harry Maguire, we've had to an extent we've had Declan Rice, we've had Harry Kane, and we've had Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling, I would I would suggest, is no longer in that position. Obviously, he's not here. And going forward, I don't think he's no longer in that position. So it's time for someone else, I think, to step into that leadership group. And I think Grealish should be part of that. I see. Can I just ask you something? Who is this lad Phillips you've got in your midfield for tonight? Who is he? 
I don't know. I think I think he used to play football for someone. Um, now I think occasionally he turns out and test the you know sort of kind of testimonials and friendlies on occasion, basically. Yeah. No, no, no. I think you will stop. Yeah. Yeah. I think he will, to be honest. I think he will. Not, you know, there's such a nice lad and he's so, you know, and, and, and honestly, his performances at the Euros, it makes you, it makes you really reluctant to kind of get into the whole questioning of, of Phillips and kind of where he's at. We all know his talent and, you know, what, what he can bring. It's just, you know, injuries before the World Cup obviously subdued him and this sort of kind of, he's just not, it's not started the Premier League game yet, has he, for Man City? So it's, it's, it's a strange one. The one that I, I was just going to ask, you know, just as we finish on, on England, I mean, Simon, I don't know what you think, but sort of, you know, Reese James, is Reese James the sort of player? I know that he's been around the squad and basically would have been in the World Cup squad. I don't know that anyone, you know, necessarily starts him you know, each and every game. But by the time of the world, uh, sort of by the time of the Euros, is he the sort of player that could kind of signal, stroke, herald the, the start of the next generation of, the, of this England? I think this is Reese James's time now. Hopefully, he can, you know, he's over the, the injury problems that he, that he had earlier in the season. Um, I think all around, he's, he's probably um, England's best right back in terms of, you know, being able to add something to the attack. Um, and also got fantastic recovery pace. Um, you know, he's he's a he's a younger version really of Kyle Walker. Um, you know, I, I think Walker's been had his problems recently, Kyle, but I think he's still a, a you know a fantastic player, and I think he's still got some some mileage in him. Obviously, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold um, isn't a player that that Gareth Southgate uh, feels that he can he can rely on, and he's he's had a, another well a poor season defensively for Liverpool. I know Andy's a, a big fan of his, um, you know, but I think at international level, you can't have a right back that um, isn't more accomplished in terms of defending. But yeah, Reese James is, uh, I, I think this is his time now. Um, you know, he's getting to that stage of his career where, where he's got to become um, an established player in the England team. I think that's one of the problems that Southgate has got, though. If you look at look at the team that, that a lot of us would, would would pick there are players in there who haven't played a lot of football this season. So Reese James being one of them. Phil Foden hasn't pl played as much at Manchester City as he would have liked. He had his injury problems. It, you know, at one point he was unable to get Grealish out of the team because Grealish's standards have been so high this season. You know, all the all the kind of plaudits have gone to Erling Haaland for the goals that he scored, but Grealish has had a very good season for City. And I'm with Andy. I think it's. I think he deserves a place in the in the starting team. Um, he wins so many free kicks for the team, and you you can't underestimate how important that is at this level. When uh, when set pieces can be, you know, um, a big factor. So I'd like to see really start tonight. Um, but yeah, going back, you know, Aaron Maguire, uh, Calvin Phillips are, are all undercooked in terms of minutes on the pitch, and I think that that's my biggest worry for England at the moment, Andy. I'm going to finish with you as a final final note. A footballing great hung up his boots yesterday. I did get a very smart, this sort of kind of sort of message almost within seconds of, of of this public announcement saying that he thought he'd retired years ago, but that was just hard. But um, but Mezzers, Mezzers, now honestly, one of the great footballing entertainers. 
come on, just, just, you love this player, don't you? And I have to say, when, when, when he was at his best, in my word, he, he had some special moments. Um, go on, just, just, just tell us why you, you regard him with so much love and affection. We'll look back upon his career as, well, as a tremendous career. Because he was just a beautiful footballer. I mean, he, he shouldn't have been by the look of him, the build of him. He was just a beautiful footballer. I remember really he first came into our consciousness in England, probably the 2010 World Cup for him, for, for, for Germany uh, against England, obviously in, in that uh, infamous game. And then for Arsenal, I mean, for Real Madrid, obviously he was, he was absolutely fantastic. But, but he did things, you know, I, I told whoever, Simon wasn't in the cab last night, so I'll... Um, I told all you lads have known this because you're in the same cab as me last night. But quickly, Jose Marino loved him as a player and, and, and said that he could turn his back on training and not watch training, but know when Mesut Ezel was hit, was kicking, striking the ball because his strikes made a different sound to everyone else. I think Jose was probably putting a bit of gravy on that particular analogy, but it was it was perfect because he didn't he didn't look as though he was hitting the ball. And that goal, obviously, the goal that's now been replayed. Against okay, it was only against Ludogrets uh, for Arsenal, where he brings the ball out down from the sky, controls it, flicks inside, and then dummies two defenders, and then he doesn't just whack it in; he just caresses it in, and that that, that was Ozil. He never he never did anything. He never did anything that wasn't elegant. And I just think in this day and age, when we are obsessed in the Premier League, obsessed with power, with pace, with identikit, destructive midfielders, everyone's got them now. It's all about that with it obsessed with pressing this press, that press, you know, blah, blah, blah. I just think basically to have an artist in there was, was beautiful. And I like artists. Fantastic. Well, a lovely tribute. I'm sure we'll be very happy. So there you go. Guys, thanks so much for joining. Appreciate it. Thanks for putting up with my voice and uh, Matt's Wi-Fi. So, you know, and uh, uh, let's, uh, let's hope England's um, Euros campaign gets off to, to uh, a winning start tonight. So thanks for joining us.